This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians, if you will, this morning. We're uh, taking a look at a very, very serious uh, subject today, uh, one that often doesn't get discussed in churches. We're talking about today what the Bible says about suicide and depression. We, we talked about this last November, really for the first time in the history of our church, uh, and it's one of those things that I believe is so important. We're going to start talking about it every single year, uh, because it's one of those things that just bears repeating, uh, and we need to make sure that we're all keenly aware of, of what the Bible says and how we can help uh, and help others, and we'll take a look at why we're discussing it uh, in just a moment as well. I grew up in church my whole life. Uh, I've gone to church for 40 plus years, four plus decades I've been uh, in church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, uh, most times. Uh, and I have never in four plus decades of being in church ever heard a pastor preach an entire message uh, about suicide, depression, mental health, uh, things along those lines. Uh, in being in church, I have heard people say very bad things about uh, mental health and things that are not helpful, things that are actually harmful. Uh, and so uh, I want to make sure that we really take a look at what the Bible says and how we as Christians should react to that, how we should respond, uh, and really what is an appropriate biblical response. So we'll take a look at that uh, this morning. The book of Philippians chapter number one, there's a passage that some people have confused uh, as far as what Paul was actually speaking of, and so we want to set that straight uh, first and foremost before we uh, jump into the bulk of today's message uh, here today. Philippians chapter one, uh, we took a look at this last week, verses 22 through 26, uh, actually really, really 22 through 25. Paul says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not, or I don't understand what. For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And Paul says, I really want to go to heaven and be with Jesus, and that would be better than being here. And he says, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh with you is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance of your joy in faith. I want to start off today by first of all saying, if you or someone you know has thoughts of suicide uh, or harming themselves, please call the suicide prevention lifeline uh, the numbers in your notes here for today uh, the numbers uh, on the screen 1-800-273-8255 uh, don't call somebody and try to talk them out of it get them the help that they need if you're struggling please call and talk to somebody i also want to jump off today by saying this i'm not a doctor i'm not authorized to give you medical advice uh, i'm not a therapist or a counselor i've received no official training in any of those areas therefore i cannot give you mental health advice i am a pastor and I can give you spiritual advice. So what we're taking a look at today uh, is a physical, spiritual, emotional problem that I'm gonna look at from a spiritual perspective. Uh, and I'm gonna give you the tools and resources you need to help yourself from a physical and emotional perspective as well. But what I'm saying is not medical advice. I'm not telling you anything to, to do with your medical uh, health, uh, with your emotional health. I will want to help you with your spiritual health. So I wanna say that uh, today as well from the very beginning. Over the last uh, 10 months, really, our uh, focus has been riveted on the coronavirus and COVID-19. And uh, if you're like anybody else in the state of Hawaii, we're looking at those numbers every single day. How many, how many uh, cases do we have each day? How many deaths do we have? How many fatalities? And we look at this and say, man, this is a, a problem. It's a global pandemic. And so far in the state of Hawaii, uh, for, for, as far as COVID-related deaths go, uh, we've had 218. The day that I made my slides, we had 212. We've had six since then. So 218 deaths uh, in the state of Hawaii. And I 
to pause here for just a second and say every single person that died is a life that God loves. It is a soul that Jesus died for. And so let us never, ever look at this as the cost of doing business uh, in the world or these deaths are expendable or these people were old or had pre-existing conditions. If we as Bible-believing Christians are truly pro-life, which all Bible-believing Christians are pro-life, then we're gonna stand with saying these lives are important as well. And so if we're gonna stand for the life of an unborn child, we're gonna stand the, for the life of an older person who's in a nursing home somewhere. Everyone deserves the right to live. So we're not trivializing that, but I, what I want you to be keenly aware of is the other killers that we have in our midst that nobody talks about that will never make the news, that will never make your Facebook feed. In the year 2017, which is the latest uh, statistics that we have from the Center for Disease Control, in 2017, there were 203 drug overdose deaths in Hawaii. That's not the number of drug overdose. That's the number of drug overdose deaths in the state of Hawaii. For 2017, was 203, almost as many coronavirus deaths as we've had in our, our state, uh, yet we don't seem to talk about those as much. When it comes to suicides, 227 people died in 2017 by their own hand through suicide. So we can say that this is corona-level pandemic danger in our midst that we really kind of gloss over and act like it doesn't happen. It's interesting that we have gone over and above to tell people to wear a mask, to wash their hands. If you're feeling sick, stay at home. Here's the symptoms. Here's the signs to look for. Here's places where you can get tested. But the far greater danger that we face actually already lies within us in our own body, our own soul, and our own spirit. But it's interesting that we don't give people the tools to, to help themselves. We don't tell people the warning signs to look for. We don't give them the signs of danger that we should give, and we just hope that it corrects itself, and unfortunately, many times it doesn't. And so this is a leading cause of death in our state as well. Also in the state of Hawaii in 2017, 349 alcohol-related deaths. And when we talk about things that are preventable deaths, every single one of those 349 alcohol-related deaths was 100% preventable. Hawaii ranks as the 14th state for worst drivers in the United States, and I think most of us could agree with that. But we rank as the number one, number one when it comes to alcohol-related traffic fatalities. We are number one in the nation for 2019. That should cause us to stop for just a second and say, hey, wait a minute. Is the number one fear that we should have on a day-to-day -day basis getting the coronavirus or spreading the coronavirus? Do we really need to talk every single week to our politicians and hear from them what our state is doing more for the coronavirus? Or should we really be looking at things like mental health? Should we really be looking at things like our unhealthy use of alcohol? Should we be looking at things like drug overdoses and things like that? These are issues that are among us that people are dying every single day with that we seem to have turned a blind eye because we've been focused on something else that will more than likely just come and go. So why are we talking about this in church? Isn't this a mental health issue? Why do we talk about it in church? I'm gonna tell you why. First of all, because people in our church are suffering in silence. There are people that are part of your church family that are seated in this room today that are dealing with depression and nobody even knows it because they're terrified to share, and we're gonna talk about it today. Here's what we wanna do. We wanna get all the cards out on the table. We wanna unpack everything so that we can know what we're dealing with and we wanna move forward from this in a healthy way. But here's the thing, there's people in your small group that are suffering with depression and you don't even know it. 
There's people in that are seated maybe on the same row with you today that are struggling with depression and they're afraid to actually say those words because of what that might mean for them. We're talking about it today because we want to remove the stigma, the guilt, the shame, and embarrassment that comes with depression. There's this stigma automatically associated with people that struggle with depression, that they're broken, they're damaged. Even the very word mental health, automatically, when I say the words mental health, you immediately in your mind more than likely think of somebody in a straight jacket, in a white room, in a padded uh, cell somewhere, rocking back and forth, maybe on a bench. We think of mental health that way. But when I say the word physical health, nobody thinks that. And we say physical health, we think of somebody who maybe eats right and exercises and takes care of uh, you know, what they put in their body and things like that. Mental health is the same thing in the fact that we need to take care of ourselves mentally. And so we're gonna remove the stigma that's associated with depression and mental illnesses of any sort. Our connect groups are already, and I want to continue to allow them to be our small group Bible studies that we have, a safe place where somebody could come out and say, hey, if you guys could pray for me this week, I'm struggling with depression and I'm supposed to see my therapist on Thursday. And people will say, hey, I'm going to pray for you this week. Not a matter of like, did they just say that? Oh my goodness, I can't believe that. Now, we're going to remove any type of embarrassment that would come from things like that. When I talk with folks who are struggling with depression, sometimes they'll tell me in a whisper, Pastor, I'm dealing with depression. You don't have to whisper that. You wouldn't say, pastor, I think I have strep throat. You know? Why? Because there's no embarrassment in having strep throat. Why is there embarrassment with being depressed? If it's a normal human condition and normal humans go through this, why is it something that we're so embarrassed to admit to other people? There's no need for embarrassment. And I want to say that from the very beginning here today. Also, I want to give you permission to discuss your struggles If you're going through a rough spot, you should be able to talk about it without fear of what other people are gonna say about you, what other people are gonna think about you, what other preconceived notions people might have of who you are. I wanna give you permission to seek the help that you need. Some people, unfortunately, have been in churches before who have told them that they just need to pray more, they need to have more faith, they need to read the Bible more. Maybe they should memorize scripture and all of their problems will go away and these people don't get the help that they need because Somebody told him something that really just wasn't true. So I want to give you permission to step out and get the help that you need. I think probably one of the most healthy things that could come from a, a service like today would somebody say, hey, pastor, I made an appointment with to talk to somebody about my problems this week. That would be an incredibly healthy outcome from what you hear today. Next, I want to give you the resources you need to help yourself and help other people. We're going to talk about real practical ways that we can process through this stuff and some things that maybe are hindering our growth and our restoration that we can get out of our lives and put good things back in. And you might be sitting here today saying, Pastor, I don't struggle with depression. I don't struggle with thoughts of suicide. I don't struggle with uh, any of these things. And so this doesn't really apply to me. Good. Would you take really good notes? Because somebody you know is struggling with all of these things. Somebody that you love and care about is struggling and you can have the tools necessary to help them. As we head into the holidays, statistics show us that depression and suicides ramp up during the holidays and we're going into a season where a lot of people are gonna be hurting right now and so you, if you're, if you're good to go, you have the opportunity to help other people through this. Next, I wanna give you spiritual solutions for the spiritual problems that you face. That's the whole point of the Bible. Uh, That's the whole point of being a child of God is having the tools that you need in your toolbox to be able to uh, face the problems that you have. I wanna give you spiritual tools, spiritual resources to help you with your spiritual problems that you face. 
we have uh, three licensed therapists that are part of our church, and these therapists are not your therapists. They, they come to our church to, to go to church, and so, um, but they've been really helpful in helping me put together the resources for, uh, that we're gonna put in your hands today and really kind of putting together a lot of the facts and, and resources in this message here today. I was talking with one of them who's a doctor last week and she told me this. She made this statement and I thought it was so powerful because it applies to so many things in life. She said, most people are largely underinformed, so they're very easily misinformed. And I thought to myself, that applies in every single area of your life. So again, I mean, if you take something as simple as the coronavirus, originally they told us don't ever wear masks because masks make it worse and they tell us that masks make it better. And we don't know until we're just following what people tell us because we're so under-informed as far as what it's about. And I still believe to this day, most people have no idea what they're doing when it comes to this. I believe that our politicians are kind of pulling out cards out and trying to figure out if this, this one works or not. But they don't know anything, so they're very easily misinformed. And you and I, when it comes to things like mental health, we're very easily misinformed because we don't have all the information that we need to begin with. I find also as a pastor when it comes to things like spirituality that many people are easily misinformed because they're largely underinformed. That people think, well, if I go to church enough, maybe that'll make all my problems go away. If I go to church enough, maybe that'll forgive my sin. If I go to church enough or do enough good stuff or I try to be a good person, maybe that'll get me to heaven. And the Bible tells us very, very clearly that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that every single person in this room and every single person on planet Earth is deserving of God's wrath and judgment. All of us deserve to die and go to hell. That's what we deserve. But the Bible says that God sent his son Jesus to die in our place. That Jesus came, he died on the cross to pay for my sins and to pay for yours. And the whole purpose of Christ's coming was to set us free from our sin and give you the opportunity to be forgiven. Every single person must have a time in their life where they've been saved, where they've been born again. If you've never had that time in your life, let today be that day. A day where you recognize, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that I cannot go to heaven on my own. And I believe that Jesus is the only way. And Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And the Bible says that he will. And that's called being saved or born again. If you say, well, I, th I think I've done that before. I'm not really sure uh, if I've done that before. Then make 100% sure today. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Because please understand this, friend. If you die in your sin, you die without Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you die without being saved or born again, you're not entering into eternal rest. You're walking into eternal punishment. Sometimes people will take their own life because the, the pain of this life is too much for them. Please understand if you're not a child of God to go from this life to the life where you're separated from God and punished is only to go from bad to even worse. So you need to know for sure that you're saved because the tools and resources we're talking about today, these are available to those that are children of God. These are available to those that call themselves Christians. And so again, if you here today and you say, I'm not really sure if that's me or not. All you have to do is, is pray a prayer like this of confession to God. God, I believe that I'm a sinner. God, I believe I deserve to go to hell. God, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and to take me to heaven. If you believe that in your heart, God would save you right now. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to go to a class. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to join a church. You just have to know for sure that you're saved. And friend, you need to know for sure that you are saved. 
As we take a look at this passage that we looked at from Philippians this morning, it's important to understand. Paul's saying here, you know, I, I could go to heaven and be with Jesus, that would be great, but I choose to stay with you. It's important to understand what Paul is, is and is not saying. First of all, Paul isn't speaking of choosing life or death. He's choosing where his desire lies. Paul's not saying, hey, I, I could go to heaven. I, I've heard people before say, well, Paul's saying in this passage here that he was thinking of taking his own life and going on to heaven. That is not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, if I could go to heaven or stay with you, I think I would probably stay with you because you need me right now. Paul's not saying where he, what he's gonna do, how he's gonna live his life, whether or not he's gonna take his own life. Paul is making a decision here to put his focus on others. Paul doesn't choose to live because he has something to live for. I've heard people before again say, well, Paul is saying he wants to live because the church at Philippi needs him and it's, it's helpful for them uh, if he sticks around, but uh, nobody needs me here. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying uh, that I choose to take the life that I have and invest it in the lives of other people. He's not saying, because I have something to live for, I'm gonna live. Every single person has something to live for. Every single one of us. Paul also doesn't choose between life and death, but Paul is choosing between living life with purpose or being a victim of his circumstances. Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi from prison. He could be down on himself, he could be bummed out, he could be like, oh, I don't know why this happened to me. Here I am stuck in prison. I can't really do a lot. Or he can choose to live for others, live with purpose. Say, I don't understand what God's doing, but I trust him, and I'm gonna continue to walk forward in this new season that I'm in. And that's what Paul chose to do, which Paul is not choosing between life and death, that's for sure. So this is not a passage that where people could say, well, Paul was kind of trying to choose whether or not he wanted to go to heaven or not. He wasn't. He was choosing to be focused on the life that God had him to live here, and that's what you and I need to do as well. It's also important to understand that our society, the world that we're in, has set us up for failure. It set us up for hopelessness, for unhappiness, and the world that we live in today is not gonna help foster in you joy. It's not gonna help foster in you hope. And as much as every politician and every government program wants to give you hope, why are we more and more hopeless? You see, things are, are different the way that our society is built today, the, the way that we raise our children is different. I always hated the day that I would be old enough to say that things weren't like this when I was a kid, but now I'm old enough to say things like, weren't like this when I was a kid. It's funny, now we raise our children and we tell them that they're great, they're the best that's ever been, you can do anything that you want, you know, you're, you're perfect, you're special, you know. If there's a problem with your kid at school, the problem is with the other person. If the teacher says your kid's misbehaving, the problem is then with the teacher who's too hard on our kid because our kid can never do anything wrong because our kid is perfect. The kids get in trouble with a neighbor kid. It must have been the other neighbor kid that instigated my kid because my kid would never do anything wrong because my kids are perfect. And we tell our kids, you're perfect. You're great. You're amazing. You're awesome. We put our kids in sports leagues where they don't take score anymore because we don't want to have winners and losers because everybody's a winner. Your kid came in last place. Great. He gets a blue ribbon because everybody's a winner here. Everybody gets first place. And our kids never get the opportunity to understand defeat and disappointment and a desire to do better because we keep telling them that you're amazing, you're awesome, you're perfect, just the way you are. But when our kids grow up, they find out that they're not perfect. They realize that they're not awesome. They realize that they're not the best. That there was one position available and 50 candidates applied and they didn't make the top 10. What do we do with that then? Now we realize that I'm not as great as I thought I was. Maybe now there's something wrong with me. 
We tell our kids that, how many of you had parents who told you, you can be anything that you want to be. If you want to be the president of the United States, you could be it. How many parents ever told you, you have told your kids that or you were told that? Raise your hands. How many of you still believe you can still be the president of the United States if you wanted to? Keep your hand up. God bless both of you guys, really. <laughs> it's just, I hate to break it to you and be the voice of reason, but it's never gonna happen. You're probably not corrupt enough. You're probably not rich enough. You probably don't have enough connections. You probably don't, you, you're not gonna be president. I'm sorry. And I just destroyed two people's dreams today. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know what's funny is that we, we then begin to think that when we go through difficulty in life, something's wrong. When we face difficulty and suffering and trials and trouble, something's wrong. When I feel sad, something's wrong because I'm awesome, I'm amazing, everything should be going my way. Real people don't go through real problems. And so there's something wrong with me. And now when I feel sad, there's something wrong with me, I'm broken. And so when I'm sad, I'm gonna pull up my phone and I'll open up Facebook. I'm gonna scroll and see how happy everybody else is. Then I'm gonna scroll and I'm gonna see, like, wait, that's my friend group that went on a hike and I didn't get invited. Why didn't I get invited? Oh, it's because I'm a terrible person, that's why. And I scroll a little bit further. Oh, look at those people, they got a dog. Remember when I used to have a dog, my dog died. And I continue to scroll. I see, oh, look at those people, they got engaged. I'm probably gonna be single for the rest of my life. And then I scroll a little bit further. Oh, look at those people and those kids. My kids aren't that good looking, you know? I scroll a little bit further and go, oh, look at their family photo. That's so beautiful. We just had our family photo made and it's not as good as theirs. And I continue to scroll. Oh, look at that person. They had Olive Garden breadsticks this weekend and I didn't. And I continue to scroll. <laughs> and you know what has been found out? That people who use social media to stay more connected with other people actually end up feeling more lonely and more depressed. Research conducted in 2018 by the University of Pennsylvania found that limiting social media to 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day significantly reduces loneliness and depression. Another study found that people who were heavy, and they use the word heavy in, in quotes because they didn't actually quantify what heavy looked like, heavy social media users were, get this, 66% more likely to struggle with depression. 66% more likely. Yet we look at this and we say, oh, this is how I stay connected with everybody. No, this is how your heart grows discontented. And study after study after study has shown that social media does nothing positive for most people other than induce feelings of loneliness and depression. And so be careful because I've seen plenty of family photos that were gorgeous and should have been on the cover of a magazine and there was marriages filled with lies, deception, destruction, chaos, abuse, infidelity. But man, the picture was gorgeous. Be careful with that because what we see often isn't real. I wanna encourage you to, maybe you just need to take a, a social media sabbatical from time to time. I'm gonna take a couple of uh, weeks off from social media. <laughs> Let me help you with something. You don't have to announce the world when you're going on a social media break, right? <laughs> Nobody cares. I'm gonna be off Facebook for the next 30 days. I just wanna prepare everybody for that, you know? If you need me, you can get in touch with me via my email uh, or my cell phone number, but the next 30 days, I'm totally gonna be off Twitter. And then like three days later, you see them back posting pictures of their cat. It's just like, wait a minute, I thought you were on a 30-day break. Nobody cares. And here's the thing, if you disappeared from Facebook for 30 days, I would be shocked 
if there were five people who even knew it. You know why? Because those aren't real relationships. You and I need real relationships in our lives because the world is setting us up for failure. There's a phenomenal documentary that we watched a couple of weeks ago called The Social Dilemma. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it. It basically talks about the people who created social media thought that they were doing this beautiful thing and then in the end, they ended up saying, we wouldn't let our kids touch it with a 10-foot pole because it's turned into this nasty, awful thing. And one of the people that they interviewed, they said, we created the like button to spread positivity. There's a lot, whole purpose of the like button was for, so people could say, that's awesome, I'm with you. But, but then now teenagers are using not getting enough likes as reasons for taking their own life because they weren't well-liked enough. And they said it turned into the exact opposite of what we were trying to do with it because they created a world that was not based in reality. That's why the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter three, set your affections on the things above, not on the things of this earth. If you and I stay so focused on the world that we live in today, we'll be greatly disappointed by the things that we come across. We talk about things like depression. It's important to define terms. Depression, by definition, is a mental condition characterized by feelings of severe despondency and dejection, typically also with feelings of inadequacy and guilt, often accompanied by lack of energy and a disturbance of appetite and sleep. <clears throat> it's important that when we look at things like depression, really just the problems that we come across in life, it's important to understand that we are physical, emotional, and spiritual beings. God created us with a, a body, a soul, and a spirit. And when we look at things like depression, we have to come at it from all of those angles. We think of our body as the physical portion, our soul as the emotional portion, our spirit is the spiritual portion and so, so many times when we look at things like depression, we look at it from just one per of those perspectives. And I want to encourage you to look at things like depression from a holistic perspective. Now, some of you, when I said holistic, you immediately think of the guy who like takes elderberry root with his morning green tea. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm saying holistic. Holistic means every aspect of your being. You see, because if you go see your, your primary care provider this week and you say, hey, I'm struggling with being really sad and I'm, I'm struggling with uh, what could possibly be depression, more than likely he's gonna say, great, here's a prescription for these two pills, take these two pills uh, and it'll make you feel better and send you on your way. Your doctor has just said you are a physical being who has a physical problem that we will treat physically. But your primary care physician is not prepared or trained to help you emotionally. He's not prepared to help you spiritually. He's just looking at this as a physical problem with a physical result. By the same token, if you go sit down with a therapist who looks at you strictly as an emotional being and says things like, you need to think more positive thoughts. You need to replace the negativity in your life with positivity. Then they look at you as strictly an emotional being and treat you only emotionally. Many times pastors and churches will say, you're just a spiritual being. You just need to read the Bible more. You need to pray more. You're sad all the time because you're a terrible Christian. And you just need to be a better Christian. And then you can get better. But then we fail to look at the emotional and the physical aspect. We have to look at us in totality as human beings the way that God created us. Depression has to be viewed from a biological, psychological, social, spiritual perspective this is so multifaceted that we have to look at it from every perspective and, and no two people are the same. 
hey, look, maybe you're depressed because you're steeped in sin and you need to confess your sin and make it right before God. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it is just a spiritual issue. I don't know. I couldn't say that for you. But maybe as you focus on trying to get things right with God, maybe you do need medication to go with it. Maybe you do need to sit down and talk with a therapist about the feelings that you have. But to neglect any person of your being is not to take a complete approach to your healing. Major depressive disorder is a clinical diagnosis that causes significant distress and impairs functioning. When we talk about major depressive disorder, again, I'm not a doctor. These are the things that have been shared with me by doctors and medical professionals. This is things that keeps people from being able to function in the morning. Keeps me from being able to get through my day. Keeps me from being able to feel what I need to feel through life. Major depressive disorder can be observed by having at least five of the nine, these following nine symptoms for at least two weeks or more. Deep sadness or emptiness, apathy, loss of interest, weight changes, psychomotor retardation, which is the slowing of movement, sleep disturbance, lack of concentration, lack of energy or fatigue, feeling of worthlessness or guilt or preoccupation with death. And so they say, if you have five of these, or more for more than two weeks then you could possibly be depressed. Now, I wanna pause for just a second here and say, don't go looking for a problem where there is no problem, okay? If you're sitting here and then you're like, I was kinda of sad last week and I'm not sure why and I have put on a little bit of pounds since this whole COVID thing started and um, sometimes I'm a little slow walking around the house, I think I might be depressed. Don't go looking for a problem, okay? I remember when the uh, coronavirus first came out, they listed all the symptoms, you know. One of the symptoms was lo loss of smell. Every single morning when I would grind my coffee, I would smell it to make sure. <laughs> Did it smell as strong as it smelled yesterday? I'm not sure. I think so, you know. And you begin to look at these lists of symptoms and trying to find a problem. We're not going looking for a problem here, okay. I'm not trying to talk anybody into being depressed today. I'm trying to help you to understand, hey, maybe there's some things that you're feeling that you might need to get checked out. That's all. And again, as a pastor, I want to give you the permission to get those things checked out. Maybe you need help. Maybe you need to sit down and talk with somebody. Maybe you need medication. I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, I'm not an expert in these areas. I just want to point you to spiritual truth. One of the doctors in our church said that these nine things were very helpful for her, but when she sits down with, with new patients, she said, I look for two things primarily. She said, I'm looking for hopelessness and anhedonia. Anhedonia means the inability to feel pleasure. The word hedon or hedonism comes from the fact of someone who seeks for pleasure all the time and is always after pleasure. Anhedonia is the opposite of the person who tries, they might cannot feel pleasure. And I said, explain that to me. She said, you know, you used to like going to the beach, but you don't like going to the beach anymore. You know, you think, well, man, my favorite meal is gonna give me that pick-me-up and you have that favorite meal and it doesn't really do anything for you. Maybe you just need, uh, you know, to watch a sunset, and you watch a sunset, and it doesn't do anything for you. You used to enjoy going for a walk, and it just doesn't bring joy anymore, and you used to enjoy playing with your kids, but they just drive you crazy, and try as you might, you just can't find pleasure ever again. Mix that together with hopelessness, and she said, I think that's usually a good indication that somebody needs help. And she then asked her this following question. At what point should someone talk with a therapist? <laughs> and she laughed, and she said, Everybody needs a therapist. Wait, what? And she said, do you have a primary care physician? I go, I do. And she goes, then you need a therapist too. 
And she said, because there's emotions and feelings that you have that you don't really know what to do with and you're not sure if it's a problem or not, then maybe you just need to sit down and talk. And she goes, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be on a, a program where they talk with a therapist once a week for you know, six months. She said, but you might need a regular checkup that you just need to go and say, hey, I'm feeling these things. Is that okay? And I thought to myself, that's so opposite of the way that our world thinks. It's the opposite. I remember it was almost 10 years ago that the Lakers won their, their last uh, championship. I don't know that I count this last one as a, as a win, but we'll take it. Uh, but I remember Ron Artest, when they were interviewing after the, he was on the floor, confetti was falling, you know, everybody's jumping around, screaming, stuff like that. And they said, you know, Ron Artest, what do you think about this? And Ron Artest goes, first of all, I want to thank my therapist for everything that, that they did to help me get through this. And like, I almost choked. I was like, this guy just admitted on live TV that he sees a therapist. We're still stuck in that mentality. You see a therapist? What for? What's wrong with you? If you say you had a doctor's appointment, people don't go, oh my goodness, what's wrong with you? What happened? You know, they said, I went to the doctor. When somebody says they're seeing a therapist, it's just like, oh no, what's wrong with you? You're taking medication? Oh goodness, I had no idea. And we've created this stigma on top of this that completely needs to be obliterated. And if you need help, you need to ask for help. You need to get the help that you need. It's important to understand that depression isn't always associated with our circumstances. When we feel intense feelings of sadness, and it goes deep or deep hurt, the first question that we ask ourselves is, why am I feeling this? Why? And we get to try to trace back everything that's going on in our life. And I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be transparent with you this morning. There's been times in my life where I've felt deep, overwhelming sadness and hurt. And I ask myself, why do I feel this? My marriage is good. My kids are amazing. They're kids, but they got problems, but they're, they're awesome. I love my church family. I love the Lord. I had a great time in prayer this morning. I've been reading through the Psalms, and it, it's killing me. It's awesome. Why am I so sad? You know the, the determination that I've come to? Because I'm messed up. Because I'm broken. Because I'm damaged. Because something's not right with me somewhere. And so we just accept the idea that we're messed up. But here's the thing, depression when it comes isn't necessarily tied to our circumstances. Depression could be tied to trauma, loss of a loved one or something like that for sure. But then when we feel pain and sadness for no reason sometimes, we automatically think it's because I'm crazy. It's because I'm not right. It's because I need help. But I don't want to get help because then people think I'm crazy. And it, it perpetuates this cycle of not willing to re, being willing to reach out and get the help that we need. Well, depression is a common experience, so it isn't necessarily a common cause. You can't say that everybody who's depressed does X, you know? We can't always trace it back to exactly where it started from. And while many people struggle with depression, the reasons for struggling with depression are different for every person. So the reasons they list neurobiological and genetic predisposition. It's something in your brain. It's something in your family tree somewhere. Chronic stress, trauma. This next one, adverse childhood experiences. You should, you should Google that sometime. They refer to them as ACEs, and they basically list 10 adverse childhood experiences, things like uh, living with a, 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 a parent or guardian who struggled with drug abuse or drug addiction, uh, physical violence, uh, sexual abuse. 
these diff- 10 different adverse childhood experiences. And I'm not trying to bum anybody out or anything like that, but they find that if you have like seven or eight more of these, your life expectancy drops by like 30 years. But here's the problem. You can't fix any of that. You can't go back and fix what was done to you as a child. And so you've got to either shove that away and act like it didn't happen, or you've got to process it and deal with it and move forward. But things like adverse childhood experiences, things like neurological and and genetic predispositions, you can't control any of that. That's not your fault. Can we reduce stress for sure? But can we undo trauma that was done to us? No. So again, many times when people go through these times of depression, it's like, this is my fault. I need to get it together. I need to grab myself by the bootstraps and just pull myself out of this mess that I'm in. But the fact of the matter is, is a lot of these things weren't necessarily things that you've done. They were things that are either were part of your family tree or things that were done to you, and you just got to process it and move forward. One of the ones that's really easy to fix, sinful behavior and activities. As a pastor, when I talk with people who are struggling with things like depression, sadness and inability to kind of get their act together, I'll always ask the question, is there any unconfessed sin in your life that you haven't made right? And many times people say yes. And I found in Christians, Christians many times struggle with maybe not necessarily clinical depression, but definitely feelings of sadness and loneliness and emptiness because they know what they're supposed to do as a child of God, but they do the opposite. Or they're putting on a show like they're a super duper Christian and everybody should look up to them and people hold them up as a shining example, but they know deep down in their heart that they're struggling with pornography or an extramarital affair or a lack of faith on their part and they can't seem to reconcile the two so they live a double life only to feel empty. Look, those are things that we can fix for sure. But some of these things just come our way through no fault of our own and we just gotta process it and move it forward with it. Depression may not always have a spiritual cause, but it's a deeply spiritual existence or deeply spiritual experience. Maybe it's not sin in your life. Maybe it's not uh, unconfessed sin. Maybe it's not a, a, not a, a, a lack of understanding of who you are in Christ or anything like that. But please understand it's a deeply spiritual experience. And the fact that maybe that's not what caused it, but this will cause you to have to lean on God like you've never leaned on him before. This will cause you to have to trust in God's word like you've never trusted in it before. That maybe this was something that was done to you, but now you need to understand who God is in light of what's been done to you. I love the Psalms. Again, I'm not a therapist, but if I were to read through the book of Psalms with the idea of being a therapist, things that I've read on the internet, I would see a guy who struggles with manic depressive episodes. (laughs) On the mountaintop one day, completely, totally in the gutter the next. And here's the thing. If you read through the Psalms, it goes like this. It's not like he had a couple days in the valley and then he got back on the mountain and stays on the mountain. No, it's back and forth all the time. David in Psalm 42 says this, verse number five, why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? He's talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. Why are you so sad? What's wrong with you? And here's what he says. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Come on, man, get it together. What's wrong with you? Trust in God. And he shows that he's not sure why he feels the way that he feels. He was like, what's wrong with me? But he knows the only hope that he has, long term, is hope in God. Depression and all suffering bring us face to face with spiritual realities. (laughs) 
I love what he says in Psalm 121, verse number one, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence my help cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made the heaven and the earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Hey, God's not gonna sleep. He's not gonna allow you to fall flat on your face. He's got you. Will you trust him? When you walk through times of depression and walk through times of suffering, you have to ask yourself this question, who will I trust? Will I trust in God or will I trust myself? Will I trust in God or will I trust what my friends tell me? Who will I worship during this time? Will I worship God or will I choose to worship myself? Where does my faith ultimately lie? Does my faith really hope in the Lord and believe that he will deliver me or does my hope lie in those pills that I'm just gonna try this time to see if those work for me? Maybe they'll up my dosage next time and hopefully those pills will bring me hope. Oh, it's gonna bring you face to face with a lot of spiritual realities. Who's in charge? Who can you trust? Where will you run? It's funny, we all run somewhere whenever we're hurt, always. My daughter Tallulah, she's uh, just turned three. She's klutzy like me. I'm super clumsy. I'm always hitting my head on something. And, and she's hit her head more than any child that we've had ever. She runs. She has this weird, funky little gallop that she does when she runs. And Angela and I were sitting out in the atrium uh, just this past week. We're sitting on the, the, the bench over there and we're talking and she's running back and forth and laughing and giggling and she runs and runs and runs and then she trips over her own foot and I hear the sound of her skull hitting the concrete. You know that like thump like that and it's just like, oh my soul. And so I stand up, jump up and she jumps up and she's crying and what does she do? She runs. She didn't sit there and wait for me to come to her. She didn't sit there and like, are you going to come get me or not? She jumped up and she began running towards me and I began running towards her. You know why? Because even as a child, we know that when we get hurt, we got to run somewhere. We can't stay in our hurt. So where do we run? I don't know about you, but in the past when I've been hurt, I've run to food. Great comfort. Great comfort. Man, there's been times where it's been 1130 at night where I feel such deep emptiness in my soul that I'll look and see, how late does Domino's actually deliver? <laughs> Midnight, done. And I feel better for a minute. You know why? Because I ran to food. But I realize I wake up the next morning, <laughs> I don't feel better the next morning, that's for sure. Eat Domino's at midnight? No, you don't feel better the next morning. You feel worse the next morning. There have been times where I've run to materialism, a little bit of retail therapy to help me get through this, right? We run somewhere, People run to drugs, they run to alcohol, they run to different relationships, they run to pornography. Where, where are you gonna run when this comes your way? Because all of us run somewhere. I will encourage you, please run to God. He promises in his word, draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. That it, he will come. He will never leave you, he will never forsake you, he will always be with you. That's a promise, run to him. It's important to understand that it's okay to be depressed. You just can't live there. Sometimes people ask, is it a sin to be depressed? No. No. Let's just say that. No. But if you choose to stay there, you choose to live without hope, you choose to live as a victim of your circumstances, please understand, that's crossed the, the line into being sinful behavior. 
See, feelings aren't necessarily sinful and having depression doesn't necessarily make you a bad Christian, but how we process those feelings can be sinful. Think about this for just a second. Nowhere in the Bible does it command you to feel a certain way. Think about that for a sec. Nowhere does the Bible command you to be happy. You just need to shake it off, put on a big smile, and keep on going. Now, does the Bible command us to have joy? Yeah, because joy is happiness based on spiritual realities, not necessarily our material circumstances. But God never tells us to be happy. It's never a commandment. You know why? Because you can't force someone to feel something. And this is also a good place to pause for just a second. People say, well, I just don't love my spouse anymore. You can't make me love them. Love is an action. It's never an emotion. It's never a feeling. It's a choice that I make to put someone else above myself. So we don't fall out of love with someone. We choose to stop loving them. But we can't command our emotions. So if you feel sad, you're not, it's not a sin for you to be sad because we don't necessarily have a commandment to feel a certain way. And our feelings are a gift from God. It's okay to feel angry, but it's a sin to allow your anger to turn into bitterness. Did you know the Bible says be angry and sin not? So I can be mad and that's okay. Now, if I use my anger to say hurtful words, that's a sin. If I use my, my anger as a way to hurt someone else, that's a sin. Or if I hang on to my anger and allow it to fester inside of me and turn to bitterness and resentment, that becomes a sin. But look, it's not a sin to be angry. It's not a sin to be sad. But it's wrong to allow your sadness to become your identity. It's not, it's not a sin to be sad, but it's a sin to lay down in my sadness and wallow in it and say, this is who I'll always be. I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. And this is just who I'll always be. You know why? Because life's always dealt me a crummy hand. I've always been this way, and I'll forever be this way. I was a disappointment to my parents. I'm a disappointment to my spouse. I'm a disappointment to my kids. I'll always be a disappointment to everybody. This is just who I am. Please understand, that's not being depressed. That's rejecting your identity in Christ, and that is a sin. Now, if you feel those things, that's okay. You just can't stay there. Those things that I just said, maybe you felt those before. It's okay to feel those things. You just can't stay there. You have to be able to process what is true and what is false and cling to that which is true and reject that which is false. There's a book that uh, my mom gave me when I was a kid called The Power of Positive Thinking. It was written by some psychologist who basically says, replace the negative thoughts with positive thoughts and you can achieve anything you want. Typical 80s psychobabble nonsense. I love my mom to death. She was just doing her best. She didn't know what to do. Uh, but the idea, you know, of just, you know, stop thinking negative th- thoughts and start thinking positive thoughts, you know, that doesn't really work. But you know what you can do? Stop believing lies and start believing truth. That'll be a game changer for you. I'm a disappointment. No, you're not. You're a child of God. I'll always be this way. No, you won't. The Bible says you have power over every, anything that holds power over you. I'm a loser. No, you're not. You're a victor in Jesus Christ. Nobody loves me. That's a lie. I know a lot of people that love you. 
And so it's about deprogramming lies and being able to be programmed by the truth that comes from God's word. Now, all this being said, it's a fact that sometimes Christians feel so badly that they want to die. It was hard for me to say, and it's probably hard for you to hear. But I'm not talking today about what makes you feel good. I'm talking about what's going to help you. You take a look at Elijah. Elijah called down fire from heaven as a, a show of God's power. And then Jezebel, the wicked queen, put a price on Elijah's head, and Elijah fled into the wilderness, sat down by a river, and said, God, just take my life. I'm done. Elijah was in such pain and distress that he just wanted to die. And notice it wasn't tied to Elijah's circumstances. He just had like mountaintop victory. He called down fire from heaven and God showed up on his behalf and put all the false prophets to death. Elijah just had like the big mountaintop experience and like the next day he's depressed and wants to die. If you read the story of Jonah, Jonah, God says, go to Nineveh, preach. He went to Tarshish instead. God sent a whale, swallowed him up. He ended up going to Tarshish instead. He preaches and people get saved. A whole city saved from God's wrath and judgment because of what Jonah did. And Jonah sits up there and looks over the city and he's super bummed out. And he tells God he wants to die. And so God takes a gourd, grows it up really quick for him, gives him some shade. Jonah lays down and takes a nap. <laughs> While Jonah takes a nap, God sends a worm to eat the gourd. The gourd dies. Jonah wakes up. He's hot again. He says, God, I said I wanted to die. Like, really, come on. And it's funny sometimes, funny is maybe not the right word, strange that we as Christians sometimes think that our feelings of wanting this life to be over and to be free from pain is so foreign. Like, this is, there's something wrong with me, the fact that I just wish all this was over so I could just go to heaven. It's not foreign to the Bible. It's not foreign to the Christian life but we have to understand several critical things. First of all, suicide is a temporary solution or a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Ne you need to understand that this doesn't fix anything. This isn't a solution. This only creates more hurt. This only creates more damage. People who commit suicide have an overwhelming feeling of helplessness, hopelessness, and worthlessness. This is bad, this will never get better. This is bad, I don't know if there's any way out of this. This is bad, I have no other options. They've come to the end of themselves. And what doctors tell us and scientists tell us is the majority of people who attempt suicide don't truly wish to die, they just want the pain to stop. And maybe you've been there before. You think to yourself, it's just so bad right now. I don't want to continue to live if living is this pain. I don't know you, about you, but I'm just going to be really honest with you this morning. There have been times in my life where it hurt just to stay awake. Like it hurts to just live. It hurts to exist because there's such deep pain that I carry in my heart that I just want to, I just want to lay down and go to bed. And like if, I didn't wake up tomorrow, I wouldn't even be mad about it, you know? Just, I just want the pain to stop because it's so intense. Please understand, there's not something wrong with you if you feel overwhelmed and overcome by your pain. Understand, this is part of life. 
But you also need to understand that suicide is never the option ever, ever, ever under any circumstances. Suicide doesn't end the suffering for those around you. It only takes it to a new level that never leaves, ever. Think about this for a second. Imagine, I'm deeply depressed. I feel like a burden to everybody around me. I feel like I'm just trouble for everybody around me and that everybody would be better off if I was just gone. And so I decide an act of selfishness to end my own life. Would that bring relief to everybody around me? If my wife has to tell my children, hey, your dad took his life because he felt like a failure as a father, would my children be like, wow, at least that's over with. Now we can move on with our life. No, that just creates more destruction for them for the rest of their lives. Imagine somebody standing up on a Sunday morning and say, hey, pastor was so overwhelmed with his failure as a pastor that he took his own life this last week and you guys would be like, yay, praise God. What a relief. No. That begins a chapter of hurt that never ends for people. So please understand, this is never a solution, ever. And I want you today to put your stake in the ground and say, I will never, as long as I live, ever choose to take my own life. That's just a a line I'm not gonna cross. And if my thoughts begin to go that way, I'm gonna stop immediately and begin to to get the help that I need and talk to somebody because I'm not gonna do that. I've told my wife before, if you find me dead with a suicide note, please call the police and report a homicide because I'm not gonna do it. I love my wife too much to take my own life. I love my children too much to take my own life. I love Jesus too much to take my own life. And I love this church too much to take my own life. Just not gonna do it. Because it's not a solution for anything. The statistics for 2020 and suicides haven't come out yet. The, the most recent statistics we have for suicide go back to 2017. So it'll be a while before we realize the effect that 2020 has had on the mental health and mental well-being of our society as a whole. But the military has released their numbers so far, and it's not pretty. The Army, up 30% over last year. The rest of the armed forces, up 20% over last year. And here's the the thing. They're comparing this not to -to year-to-date numbers. They're comparing it to the numbers for all of last year. So again, we're looking at this. This is a massive problem. I would go, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that suicide and depression are more deadly and more dangerous than the coronavirus. If you disagree with that, I'll just agree to disagree with you. But this kills people when they don't even realize it's coming. And it's interesting too, the statistics that are up this year are not due to what we normally attribute it to, wartime activity and PTSD. It's not attributed to the long deployments and separation from family. You know why? Because a lot of the deployments have been canceled. A lot of them have been cut short. And what they found is people are actually at home more. And they don't get to escape their problems. They don't get to escape life. They don't get to check out for six to nine months to 12 months. They have to stay where they are with what they have and they just gotta feel it. And it becomes too much. But understand, this is never a solution. And so you as a Christian today need to say, that's 100% off the table, 100%. Never going that route. And you might say, well, I don't have a, a wife and I don't have a kids like you do, Pastor. Would you say I love Jesus enough to never take my own life and to dishonor the name of Christ and call myself a Christian? Would you say I love my church family enough to never put them through 
that ever again? One of the best friends I've ever had in my entire life committed suicide eight years ago, almost. And I still wonder, was it my fault? Should I have reached out more? Should I have done more? This guy was a Christian. He loved the Lord. Um, him and I would get together. For about a year, we would get together an hour before work every day and we would pray for our families together. I remember one time he had a Bible uh, that I really liked. It was a, a nice calfskin, soft-bound Bible. And I said, man, this is awesome. I felt it. And I said, where did you get this? I said, I said I'm going to get one of these. And he's like, take that one. And I go, I'm not going to take your Bible from you, man. It's like your Bible. And he goes, no, just take it. And I opened up the front flap of it, and it had like the, the page, you know, where it had his name in it and stuff like that. He goes, dude, this Bible's got your name in it. He grabs the Bible from me, rips out the, the page, and hands me the Bible. And he goes, now it's yours. It doesn't have my name in it anymore. In my office, I still got that Bible. It's got the title page ripped out of it. It's got notes from the book of James in there. And I don't know what he thought he was fixing, but it's only brought great grief to my life. When I'm walking through an airport, sometimes I think I see him across the way. But it's just some guy who looks like him. Sometimes somebody will tell a joke that I've heard him tell before, and it's not funny anymore. I think about his children. He left five children behind. His son graduated college last year, and I sent his son a message and said, hey, your dad would have been really proud of you. He loved you a lot. I don't know if that was any comfort to him or not. But this doesn't bring closure to anything. It opens up a whole new bag of hurt for everybody involved. So please, friend, put this on a list of things that you're never going to do, a line that you'll never cross. Particularly what the Bible says about suicide. Some people have asked, you know, well, if you take your own life, does that mean you automatically go to hell? First of all, the Bible says that taking your own life is a sin. First of all, it violates the commandment that thou shalt not kill. Take your own life is a, a sin. Secondly, you automatically take the place of God and the fact that you determine who lives, who dies by taking over from God's sovereignty and making it your choice. Thirdly, it's a failure to not trust in God and believe that he has what you need to be able to survive and to latch on to hope. So easy to say that it's a sin. But it's also important to understand that there's no sin so great that would ever separate us from the grace of God. What, what I'm trying to say is if you're a child of God, you've been saved, you've been born again, there's nothing you can ever do to lose your salvation. And I've known people before who said, in my darkest hour, I just, the only thing that kept me alive was I didn't want to take my own life and end up in, in hell. And if that's what kept you alive, I'm thankful that it kept you alive. But please understand that for the Christian who takes their own life, they don't go to hell. I had somebody in the first service who told me, pastor of the church I was at in Germany, one of the church members, uh, sons took his own life and the pastor of that church refused to have a memorial service for the, the kid because he was in hell and I go that's a lie that's wrong that's damaging that's hurtful that's shameful for a church to do that and she said yeah it was really hard for the family yeah I could imagine I can imagine now where does the idea that if you commit suicide you automatically go to hell come from it comes from false religion and Catholicism Catholicism places sin in two neat categories, venial, which means everybody kind of does it, it's not that big of a deal, lying, cheating, stealing, things like that, and then they put mortal sins. 
mortal sins would be, you know, murder, infidelity, things along those lines. And so according to them, if you die committing a mortal sin, which would be taking your own life, you automatically punch your ticket to hell. We believe that the only way we could punch our ticket to heaven was through Jesus, and that all of us are going to hell when we die. And so my eternal destination, the hope that I have of heaven is not based on anything other than the finished work of Christ, the salvation for any person rests in the finished work of Christ on the cross, not in abstaining from sinful acts. My friend that took his own life, I believe he's in heaven, no doubt about it. I heard his salvation testimony. I saw real spiritual fruit in his life. He had shoulder surgery, was prescribed prescription pain medication, that then took in took his life over. He began to be addicted to drugs and did whatever he had to do to get drugs and ended up taking his own life. Terrible story. Probably he's in heaven based on the promises of the word of God. So how do we process through these feelings that we have? How do we process through feelings of worthlessness, hopelessness? First thing you gotta do is you gotta focus on Jesus, number one. Imagine I am an archer and I take an arrow out of my quiver I put it on a string and I pull back and I let that arrow fly. Where does it go? Wherever the bow is pointed. When we walk through life, where does our mind go? Wherever it's pointed towards. If you're sitting at home thinking about your sadness, your loneliness, your hopelessness, your worthlessness, and everything that you have continues to contribute to those feelings that you have, you have no hope, and so you turn on the television only to find out that there's no hope on TV either. You begin to watch the news because maybe there's hope in a politician that's gonna be elected, and you watch a little bit of Fox News, and you realize, hey, there might be a little bit of hope here, right? And you flip over to CNN, and you realize that Fox News was lying the whole time. There's really no hope at all, right? Then you realize, wait, maybe hope isn't found in a political candidate, and maybe things aren't gonna get better the next four years. Maybe really there is no hope for us. Maybe there's no vaccine coming. Maybe the vaccine isn't months away, but it's years away. Maybe there'll never be a vaccine. <laughs> and then you begin to get on some crackpot's YouTube channel and you begin to realize that, hey, maybe the vaccine's the mark of the beast and this is the end of the end, right? Hey, maybe this is the way that the government's gonna control all of our minds to this. And you realize, hey, I'm not crazy. The whole world's crazy. And then you realize there's no hope. And whatever you're looking for, you're gonna find it. You want reinforcement that you're worthless, you'll find it, guaranteed, by focusing on the things of this world. But what happens if you put your eyes on Jesus? Jesus knows about hurt. Jesus knows about disappointment. Jesus knows about betrayal. Jesus knows what it's like to put his trust in other people who broke that trust. Hey, look, Jesus picked 12 guys by his own hand and one of them was an unbeliever who sold him out for a bag full of money. And when Jesus' darkest hour came, where were the other 11? They split. One of his right-hand men, Peter, I don't know that guy. I've never even heard of him before. Are you talking about me? Not that, not that guy. No, I'm not a follower of his and even cursed to prove that he wasn't a follower of Christ. Mm. When Jesus hung upon the cross, naked, an embarrassing situation, being humiliated and mutilated physically. Who was there for him? His mom was there for him. Where's the other guys? They split. 
You know, talk about somebody who knew embarrassment, who knew shame, who knew hurt. And on top of this, Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world. You know, talk about somebody who's walked through some dark hours, it's Jesus. So I guarantee you he can feel what you're feeling. How did he respond to those that disappointed him, who hurt him? He loved them. He served them. He continued to love them. How does Jesus deal with us who have disappointed him time and time again? He still loves you. He's still for you. Jesus has put inside of you the hope that you have that it's going to get better. So focus on Jesus. Author John Piper, who's wrote a great book on dealing with depression, book I'll give you guys today if you don't have a copy of it. He said this, rivet your attention on Christ. Faith sustained by looking at Christ crucified and risen, not from turning from Christ to analyze your faith. Let me help you look to Christ. Read Luke 22 through 24. Paradoxically, if we experience the joy of faith, we must not focus on it. We must focus on the greatness of our Savior. Quit looking at why you can't believe or why you're a terrible Christian or why you can't read your Bible enough and put your focus back on Jesus Christ and how great he is. Stop looking at your own failures and look at the greatness of Christ, he says. Man, so much truth there. I say, well, pastor, I don't feel like, I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like going to church. Do it anyways. There's been times where I didn't feel like eating, but I knew I needed to. There's times where I was sick. Well, the doctor says, you got to get some fluids in you. Oh, I feel like if I get some fluids in you, I feel like I'm going to throw up. Try it anyways. Got to start eating solid foods. I don't feel like eating. Try it anyways. You say, I don't feel like reading the Bible. Try it anyways. I know people before who say, Pastor, I'm going through such a difficult time right now. I just can't even, I can't even come to church. <laughs> it's like saying, I'm so sick that I can't make it to the hospital. I'm just going to stay at home. Church is where you need to be. Around the people of God is where you need to be. This is where you need to find healing from. So I want to encourage you, put your focus and attention on Christ when you don't feel like it, do it anyways. Secondly, you need to understand what you're feeling will get better. It gets better. You say, I can't, I can't see it. It does, I promise. Just for those who'd be willing to be honest this morning, I want to ask you this question. How many of you, by a show of hands, have had a time in your life where things were so dark, so painful, so hurtful, you said, I'm not going to make it out of this. This is it. This is the end. My life will be ruined forever. This is as bad as it gets, and it's never going to get better ever from this day forward. There's no hope at all. How many of you have ever felt that before? Raise your hand. I got my hand up with you. And you're here this morning, and you know why? Because it got better. You said, well, I'm still going through it right now. You had enough in you to wake up, put your clothes on, and come to church this morning. It's going to get better. I promise. I don't care how dark it gets. Please know you're never alone in that darkness, that Jesus is always walking with you. You have the promises of the word of God with you at all times. It will get better. These feelings will not last forever. So please just hang in there. Please just be patient. I know that it's painful. I know that it's difficult. I know that you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I promise you, he's always there. Just hang in there. I promise you it'll get better. But you need to understand that it's a process. It's not gonna get better immediately. It's a process you gotta work through. If you're struggling with depression, you're not gonna be able to just read a couple verses from the Bible and everything's gonna be okay. It's gonna be a process. How long is the process gonna be? 
I'll tell you this, it's not going to be measured in, in days and weeks. It's probably going to be measured in months and years. And it's funny, sometimes people say, well, Pastor, I don't have months and years. You're going to, the time's going to go by anyways. You, you can start the healing process. You can continue being stuck. Just put one foot in front of the other and begin to walk the process. It's going to take time, but I promise you the process is worth it. It's important to understand, too, that the goal is not to stop feeling, but to embrace and be able to process through your feelings. Sometimes people think, well, if I could just stop feeling this, I'd be okay. No, you actually need to feel it. You know, emotion is one of the things that makes us human. You need to feel it. I read a quote one time somewhere, it was outstanding to me. It says, you've got to feel it to heal it. So much truth in that. It's funny, we sometimes, even as parents, want to shield our kids from feeling disappointment. We want to shield our kids from feeling hurt. And we do them a great disservice when we do that. I remember my son Vanderlei had taken his, uh, he's probably nine or so years old. We'd gone to the fair. He wanted to take his wallet. He had a pair of basketball shorts in that didn't really have a good pocket. And I said, your wallet's going to fall out of your pocket. Let me hold your money for you. And he's like, no, it's my wallet. I'm a big boy. I'm going to carry my wallet with me. And I said, okay, fine. And so I said, do you have money? He said, I do. I want to, I want to, to play some games or buy something at the at the fair. And so I want to take my own money. I said, how much do you have? I said, $50. I said, if you lose your wallet, you will lose that $50 and you can't get it back. No, I'm going to take really good care of it, I promise. I said, dude, I'll just put it in my back pocket and be fine. No, I want to carry it. I want to carry it. Said, okay, carry your wallet. And so throughout the day, he's riding rides and stuff like that. I said, hey, you still got your wallet? He's like, yeah, right here. Got my wallet. All right. Like probably an hour before we went home, Dad. I can't find my wallet. And it's just like, oh. And so we begin to retrace our steps and ask people, did anybody turn in a wallet? Stuff like that. And he's all bummed out and everything. And so he's just like, I don't know what to do. I lost my wallet. And I said, you remember that $50? He goes, yeah. It's gone. What? It's gone. But you know what? Dad loves you. And so I'm going to give you $50 here, right? Be really careful with this $50. You think I did that? No, I didn't. <laughs> no way. Son, when you lose it, it's gone. When you lose it, it's gone. And you know what he said? That's not fair. Oh, son, let me teach you a great life lesson right now. Life is not fair. But you know what most parents should do? Here's 50 bucks, buddy. Don't lose this one. And I didn't teach my kid to deal with disappointment and loss. I taught him that somebody's always going to be there to pick up the slack for you. But the first time somebody's not there to pick up the slack and he realizes he's really alone, he doesn't have the tools that he needs to make it through life. And so we need to understand that this is a process. Maybe somebody didn't give you the tools you need to walk through this uh, alone. Good news, you're not alone. And the goal isn't to stop feeling, to be able to, to process through your feelings in a healthy way. We're getting ready to talk about medication, but this is the important thing about medication many times. I found that when people take medication, it stops all feeling. They don't feel sad anymore, but they also don't feel happy. They don't feel scared and anxious anymore, but at the same time, they, don't, they feel no joy from anything that comes either. I've seen people who are struggling with depression that are on medication that have a birth of a child, and it's just like, meh, it is what it is. 
death of a parent, it's just like, eh, everybody dies. And they just become numb. The goal of the human existence is not to be numb to emotion. It's to be able to process our feelings in a healthy way and to work through them. I read a quote that's outstanding. Jesus Christ did not come to take away our pain and suffering, but to share in it. <laughs> Jesus isn't the magic pill that makes all the problems go away but he will walk with you through it because he knows all about pain and suffering. Now, people have often asked, is it a sin for Christians to take medication for depression? It's never a sin to take medication that will allow you the clarity you need to fix your focus on Jesus. Again, we have to ask ourselves, am I just trying to cut off all of my emotion? That's never healthy. But some people can't read the Psalms because they just can't think straight. They can't focus on the promises of God because they got 10 million thoughts that are in their head that they don't know how to get quiet. There's some people who are in such a deep pit of despair that they can't even get out of bed and brush their teeth in the morning, much less crack the Bible. In cases like that, do what you gotta do to be able to get yourself to the point where you can open God's word and receive it. But again, if we're putting our hope in this pill that's gonna cure all of my problems, that's just not gonna help. The cure for hopelessness is hope, and Jesus should always be our first option, not the last. If you're dealing with hopelessness and despair, you need a healthy dose of hope, not a new dose of some new medication that came out that may or may not work for you. Again, many times people want to maybe tack Jesus onto the end of all that they do. No, put Jesus at the forefront of all that you do. One author wrote it this way. He said, medication versus no medication. He said, it's unclear whether medication is any more helpful than counseling. And it's unclear whether counseling is any better than overall talking with a wise friend. Even in cases of severe depression, careful analysis of the evidence does not always demonstrate the superior effectiveness of medication over secular counseling. You'd expect at least the same or similar results when you add scripture to, to be your guide. Here's what he said. Science has not yet proven that medication is better than not medication. Science. And that many times in studies that they do, a person who's seeing a counselor on a regular basis and a person who's taking medication see similar results. And maybe that doesn't have to be a licensed counselor, maybe just a wise friend that you can talk things out with and feel things with. So, again, this is not to say that nobody needs medication. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that your first stop you need to do to try to talk this out and, and make, some, make a path forward for sure. But if at any point my hope becomes in my prescription that I have to be able to make it in life, I've chosen the wrong option. I need to follow after Jesus first and foremost. To stand to put my whole hope and lasting trust in anything other than Jesus. We live in a society that's very quick to write you a prescription for something. My dad went for a physical several years ago. He's 70 now. He's probably 60 years, probably 65 when he went for his physical. Doctor told me he has high blood pressure and high blood sugar. And so doctor said, today I'm going to start you on a new blood pressure medication and I'm going to start you on um, insulin. <laughs> and my dad said, is there another option? And the doctor says, yeah, but nobody ever takes it. And my dad said, what is it? Eat right and exercise. And my dad said, can you give me six months? And the doctor's like, Psh. Give you as much time as you want, I don't care. But you'll be back and you'll end up taking the medication because everybody does. And so my dad, for that period of time, stopped smoking. 
started walking on a treadmill and paid attention to what he ate. He went back in six months and his doctor was shocked. You know what his doctor said? I've never in decades of practicing medicine ever seen anybody actually do it, ever. He showed the first thing was, take these pills, give yourself a shot in the gut for the rest of your life, but don't actually change. Again, you go tell your, your primary care physician that you feel sad all the time, they're gonna give you some pills to take but never actually treat the whole person. We have to look and say that Jesus is my first stop, not the last. And you cannot medicate away the problems of life. If you've got real deal problems, they're not gonna go away. And what people often find who just wanna take a pill and make their problems go away is when they stop taking their medication, all the problems flood back because they never dealt with the problems. They were always there, you just couldn't feel it. And so we have to understand that if we're gonna take medication, we've still gotta process through our feelings, we've still gotta process through our problems, we've still gotta process through all these things that are swirling around us, not just take a couple of pills and check out. It's important to understand though that you don't have to do this alone because help is always nearby, always. You know Elijah that I told you about that was hanging out by the river waiting to die? The Bible says that there were 7,000 prophets in Israel that were waiting to come to his rescue. They just didn't know that he needed help. There's always people that are waiting to help. And one of the ways that we walk through this is we walk through it together with community. And that's why this is so critical for us as a church. If you've been around who we call for any length of time, you know I'm encouraging you to be a part of a small group and be a part of the community. One scientist did a study of a, a tribe in Papua New Guinea in 1984, and he found that in this village that he found was virtually no cases of depression, anxiety, hopelessness, or suicides, none. And he did a study to find out why, and come to find out why, because this village lived together as one large family. They didn't really have their own houses, they kind of shared everything communally, and they found that these people never felt lonely because there was always people around that were looking out for them. Not just bodies walking past them, but people who truly cared about them. And he found that a lot of the problems that we experience are a result of our purposeful isolation as opposed to being a part of community. So you need to be surrounded by loving, caring, committed group of Christians. You gotta do it. Look, if you come in, sit on the back row, split the first chance you get, don't talk to anybody, grab your stuff and go, never join a small group, you're missing out on one of the greatest parts about being a part of a church. You need people around you that know your name, know your kid's name, know your spouse's name, know where you work, what you're going through, what you're feeling. You need that in your life. I need that in my life. And you can't catch that by just a 10-minute Sunday morning Hey, how's it going? Howdy when you got a mask on, you're standing six feet away from people. I get it, it's weird. But you gotta commit to being a part of community because this will help you through this process. I guarantee you, you can't do it alone. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one because if they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up the fellow, but woe unto him that's alone when he falleth, for he had not another to help him up again. I need somebody who can say, hey, are you doing all right? You look like you're struggling. Is everything okay? I've had people before who put their arm around me and say, Pastor, is everything good? You seem kind of spaced out, checked out. I need people like that in my life. I need people who can recognize when I'm not okay. And I need people that I can feel comfortable enough to say, hey, you know what? I'm not okay. 
Good, let's talk about that. I need that in my life because depression will continue to fester in isolation. And again, when we're in a society today where we have been forced to self-isolate for the last 10 months, that doesn't do any good for anybody. Look, I'm an introvert by nature. I love being by myself. I love it. I have no problem with it whatsoever. But when you force me to stay at home and say I can't see anybody, it drives me bananas. And I realize I'm an introvert who likes limited contact on my own terms. That's who I am, you know? And so isolation continues to make us feel lonely. And that's not helpful. Don't do that. You're never alone. You have God as your father. You have Jesus as your brother. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have all the promises of the word of God. You have a pastor who prays for you. You have a church family that loves you. And you have what it takes to make it. So when you hear a voice in your head saying, you're alone, nobody cares, please understand that's a lie. That is not the voice of God. That is not even your own voice. That's the voice of the devil who wants to feed you life to keep you stuck. You're never alone, ever. It's important to understand that God's not only the God of the victory, but he's also God of the process. Sometimes we picture God as like, this doting dad that's waiting at the finish line clapping for us. Come on, you can make it. Come on, you got this. Keep going, keep going, come on. <laughs> As if God's waiting for us to actually get to the end and then pat us on the back and tell us we did a great job. No, no, God is running the race with us. He's right there alongside of us. When you decide you wanna stop, he's gonna grab you by the neck and go, come on, I'm not giving up on you. We gotta get through this. Because God is walking with you through the process. It's not like we have to walk through this process of healing and then at the end we'll find the Lord. No, no, the Lord is gonna walk through the process with us. He's not waiting for the big celebration at the end. He's gonna be with you through every step along the way. That as we walk through darkness, Jesus is walking with us. Hope is a skill that takes practice. You need to practice your faith. You want hope? This is not a fake it till you make it. This is a begin doing what you know you're supposed to do. I choose to praise today. If you're struggling with depression, here's your homework today. Write out this week on a sheet of paper. Don't think of them in your head. Write them out on a sheet of paper. 50 reasons that you're thankful for what God's done for you. 50. You're like, I can't think of five right now. Great, then work on it all week if it takes you all week. But what I've found is when I get up to about 42 or 43, I continue to go past 50 because I'm ridiculous blessed. I can't see it in the middle of my hurt. All I see is my pain because that's where my focus is. But hope is a skill that takes practice and I gotta stay after it day after day. Joy in Jesus and lasting hope requires commitment to renewing your mind trusting in the promises that God's walking with you through the darkness. You have to shut up the lies and you have to focus on truth. You're not worth it. That's a lie. Don't focus on that. Focus on the truth. I am so valuable to God that he'd be willing to give his only son to purchase my soul. That's truth. You're alone on this. You're all by yourself. Nobody cares. That's a lie. I know that the Lord cares. I know that the Holy Spirit inside of me cares. I know my Savior who died for me cares. I know that I have a church family that cares. I'm gonna to choose to focus on truth. And that's gonna take a little bit of reprogramming my mind because my mind only wants to talk negative things in my ear, but I can't hear that. 
There's no verse, no pill, or no possession that will make hope magically appear. Reciting psalms that you've claimed as your own is part of that practice. Philippians 4.8 tells us that we're to focus on the things that are true and honest and pure and of good report. So you need to think on these things. You're created by God. You're loved by God. You're accepted by God. You're forgiven by God. You're approved by God, and you're transformed by God. Hmm. That's who you are. If you're a child of God, if you're saved, this is who you are. Oh, no, I'm not on my failure. That's a lie. I'm, I'm stuck in my sin. That's a lie. I'll always be here. That's a lie. I'm of no value. That's a lie. Think on the things that are true. Now, how do we help somebody else? First of all, listen to them and validate their feelings. Just hear them out. Hey, man, talk to me. I've known people before who say, Pastor, if you knew what I was feeling, you'd, you'd pick up and run the other way. I said, I promise I won't. Because we think in our mind, again, that the things that we're feeling are so unique to us and nobody's ever felt this way before and nobody can understand the hurt that I have and if I let it out, it's gonna repel people. But just listen to somebody and validate their feelings. Well, I just feel like nobody loves me. Oh, that's so stupid. I can name 20 people who love you right now. Good grief. Why do you think thoughts like that? You just invalidated their feelings. And they're not gonna open up and blossom now. They're going to recoil and go back into their shell because they realize they're just gonna be attacked for their feelings. You know, John, it's interesting to me that you say that. What would cause you to feel that way? Oh, I got this, 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 and this. Man, I can understand how that might make you feel that way. You know, I feel awful that you feel that way because if I could think right now, I could name six people off the top of my head without even thinking that love you dearly. And the fact that you feel unloved would really hurt those people, and it hurts me to hear that. I just heard what you said, and I just validated that what you felt was okay, but also gave you a little bit of truth to, to chew on too. So listen to them and validate their feelings. Don't invalidate them or scold them for reaching out. Ask them if they thought of hurting themselves. And if they have, offer to go get help with them. We don't like to ask this question because it's a heavy question, first of all. Secondly, we don't like to ask this question because it's gonna put us on the hook and create some responsibility for us. If I say, have you thought about hurting yourself? You say, yeah, I've got a, a loaded gun in my nightstand that I've thought about pulling out before okay, I'm gonna pray that that gets better. No, we can't do that. We actually have to do something with that. So sometimes we skirt asking that question because we don't wanna be on the hook for it. But you know what a real friend would ask a question like that? And let me help you parents too. You need to talk to your kids about these questions too. I have a 12-year-old uh, daughter <laughs> who is going through changes in life right now and is sometimes unhappy with what she sees in the mirror. I gotta ask her questions that are uncomfortable. My wife and I have to ask our daughter, do you know what bulimia is? I know sometimes you don't like to eat a lot because you're a girl, whatever, but do you understand what anorexia is and how that damages kids for the rest of their lives? Is that a comfortable conversation to have with a 12-year-old? It's incredibly uncomfortable. But you know how necessary that is? Very necessary. I don't like to ask my boys, have you ever thought about taking your own life? That's a hard question for a dad to have with his boys. And I might not like the answer that I hear, but I need to ask it. 
But here's the thing. You have to be willing to go with that person to get the help that they need. Well, not, oh, I'll pray for you. I'll hope that goes your way. No, do you, you think we should go talk to somebody? I'd go with you if you wanted me to. I've taken people to the hospital before and sat with them while they talked to a doctor at the ER. I've gone to addiction recovery meetings with guys before. I've gone to AA meetings before with guys before. You want to get help? I'm, I'll, I'll go with you. I'm a friend. If they need help, be willing to get the help. They need. This one's really critical. Pray for them and check back in on them to see how they're doing. If somebody opens up and says they're struggling with depression or they're thinking about going to see a doctor or they're trying out some different medication and then they never hear from you again for weeks, they're going to think in their mind because of their hurt, oh, great, I ran them off. They think I'm crazy. Great, now I just opened up and told my whole life story to somebody and they don't want anything to do with me now. And I don't care if you have to pull out your phone and set a reminder. Remind me next Monday to call Joe and see how he's doing. You need to check back in with them because they've been vulnerable and opened up and you need to check back in and see how they're doing. And pray for them. And let them know, hey, I was praying for that. How did that ever work out? Are you still feeling those things? Are you still working through those things? If so, I want to help. Point them to resources that'll help. Make sure that they know the Lord is their Savior. Make sure that they know that their sins are forgiven. That's, again, baseline foundation for healing knowing that things are right between you and God. Now, how can you help yourself? You say, Pastor, I'm good. Great, take really good notes because you might need them one day. First of all, don't isolate yourself. You need real relationships in your life, real relationships. I've got 1,200 friends on Facebook. I said real relationships. And you know what? Maybe you need to take an unannounced 30-day sabbatical from social media. I promise you, you'll live. I promise I was talking with one of our teenagers yesterday, and I said, do you have an Instagram? She said, no. I said, good, don't get one. It'll ruin you. Maybe you need to take a break off and focus on real relationships. Maybe you need to sit down with a friend and have lunch. I had a guy this morning who said, Pastor, I'm struggling. I said, good, let's grab lunch this week. I want to be a friend. He needs real relationships in his life. What good would it do if he posted a picture of his dog on Facebook and I gave him a thumbs up? Would that help him? No. You know why? He needs real relationships. If you're struggling, you don't, don't isolate yourself. Don't run away. Run to God. Run to relationships. Next, be more faithful to church, not less. You need a church family. If you've never been part of a small group, join a small group. You say, well, nobody ever invites me to go for a hike. Good. Get three people together and go on a hike. Do it yourself. Nobody ever invites me anything. Great, quit being a victim and start being a victor. And say, hey, nobody's ever invited me over to their house. I'm gonna invite myself over to invite other people over to my house. <laughs> Somebody one time told me, Pastor, I saw on Facebook some people had a cookout for Memorial Day and we didn't get invited for that. <laughs> I said, Do you know in the history of who we call a Baptist church? History. I'm talking in seven years. Do you know how many times anybody has ever invited the pastor and his family over to their house? for any holiday picnic, anything. Seven years, I'll give you a guess. Like four. In seven years. And do I sit at home going, oh, nobody likes me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody hates me. No, you know what I do? I go to Costco and I get some steaks and I get some burgers and say, hey folks, you guys should totally come over this weekend. We got a, a ton of steaks and burgers. We're gonna throw them on the grill. We'd like for you to come. And I don't determine my popularity based on what other people invite me or, or don't. 
I'm looking to foster real relationships. And you need to be a part of a church family. You need to be around other people. You need to put your roots down and stay somewhere. Next, take care of yourself. I'm talking about diet, exercise, making sure you get plenty of sleep, things along those lines. I went to my doctor last year for my, uh, my physical. I told him, I said, I'm struggling with shortness of breath when I walk upstairs and stuff like that. And he did an EKG and checked out all that stuff and everything. And I said, sometimes I'm just sitting, uh, I find it really hard to catch my breath, like just like gasping for air sometimes. And he said, oh, okay. He writes down some things on his pad. He goes, um, check my heart, blood pressure, all that other stuff. He said, I think you're struggling with anxiety. Huh. Doc, I got 101 things wrong with me. Anxiety ain't one of them. And he was like, would you consider you live a fairly highly stressful life? Yeah, but it's nothing I can't handle. And he's like, okay. And he was like, so when you, when you exercise and you work out, do you find yourself also short of breath and not able to breathe and difficult? No, I'm not just like sitting around for no reason. He goes, yeah, totally anxiety. Okay, um, so what? And he goes, well, you know, he goes, I know you don't want medication. He said, so I would encourage you to do meditation. Come on, doc, that's it. That's a bunch of junk. Like, I pray, I read my Bible, that's meditation enough, you know. He said, no, I'm talking about like, he said, you can download an app if you want to. He said, just sit and, and listen to the app for 10 minutes and just sit and breathe. And I said, look, I don't have time to just sit and breathe for 10 minutes. And he goes, that just proves my point. What point? <laughs> the point that you're struggling with anxiety because you're so high strong that you can't sit and breathe for 10 minutes. I said, all right, fine, I'll do it. And so I did it. And you know what? changed my life because I found and again every person's wired different I found that even in times of prayer I have times of of sadness and grief and hurt and deep emotions during times of prayer the times of prayer many times for me are not helpful and cathartic it's necessary but I don't feel a lot of peace when I'm done from it because prayer sometimes is a struggle and so I found just sitting for 10 minutes and breathing sometimes helps me I found that the food that I eat automatically affects my mood and how I feel automatically. I found lately, I love Panda Express. Oh, I love Panda Express. I could eat like the, the, the catering tray that they make of orange chicken. I could probably eat that in 24 hours. It is so good. Oh, I love Panda Express. The last four times that I've eaten Panda Express, I have felt terrible afterwards. Terrible. I felt awful. And so... I don't know if it's if it's the MSG or what it is, but man, it's good, but I feel terrible. And you say, four times you've done it? Yeah, because the first time I thought it's a fluke. You know, the second time I thought to myself, maybe this isn't uh, the best thing for me. The third time I realized, I think Panda Express makes me really, really terrible. I'm, I'm talking about feeling run down. I feel, I feel clammy. I got like cold sweats. And the next morning I feel like junk. I have no energy. Uh, you know, that like I feel run down and drained. And so the third time, I realized it's totally related to orange chicken, 100%. And you said, there's a fourth time. Yeah, the fourth time, you know what I said? I don't care how I feel. I just want an orange chicken, right? And I ate it, and I felt terrible afterwards. Can you imagine that I'm, I'm feeling feelings of sadness, loneliness, emptiness, worthlessness, and I eat a meal that as I eat it on my lips, it tastes so good, but then an hour later, it just comes regret and I feel terrible, and I'm tired, and I'm run down, and I feel fatigued, and I don't want to go out and exercise, and I don't go to the gym, and I don't want to work out, I don't even want to go outside, I just want to lay in bed, and you see how that just creates this cycle that I get stuck in? 
So I'm talking about eating food that's good for you. I'm talking about getting out and seeing some sunlight. My wife had been struggling a couple of years ago with just being totally run down and drained. Just totally fatigued, totally down. She went to the doctor, got all of her hormones and blood levels tested and stuff like that. And she found out that she had a massive, massive deficiency in vitamin D. And you know what the number two symptoms of vitamin D deficiency are? Fatigue, depression. Top two. And her doctor said, you should get out in the sun more. So she went out and got in the sun more. She went and got back, back and got it tested. Didn't touch it. So she got on like these like horse pills of vitamin D that she was on to try to get her levels back up because she was run down and tired because she was vitamin D deficient. The feelings that you're feeling could be directly associated with your physical well-being. It could be the food that you're eating or a deficiency that you have. Uh, go to your doctor, get a blood panel taken. I, every year when I go see my doctor, I get a physical, run the whole thing. I want to see how I'm doing in, in all these areas. If I need to change my eating habits or I need to change my exercise habits, I need to do that. But take care of yourself. And some of you need to write down this beside what we're talking about here. Self-care is not the same as self-medication. Self-care is doing things that are healthy for you that will get you on the track that you need to be. Self-medication is trying to make it go away on your own. And people self-medicate with, with money, with food, with relationships, with drugs, with alcohol to make these things go away. And they say, oh, I'm trying to take care of myself. One of the ways that I do that is I spend lots of money. No, that's, that's self-medication. That's not self-care. There's a difference. So take care of yourself. Do you need to talk to a therapist? Go for it. Make an appointment. And you might sit down and go, I don't even really know why I'm here. I'm just sad all the time. That's what they do for a living. They help you to process through that. And sometimes people say, oh, I saw a therapist once and it didn't work. Because <laughs> it's a process. It's like saying, I went to the gym one time and it didn't work. No, you gotta continue to go back. And you gotta work through the difficult sections that you're in. And so if you need to go sit down and talk to somebody, do that. I highly encourage that. Talk to your pastor, let me know. It's helpful to me to know if you're struggling with something. Again. There's no judgment. There's no stigma here. I promise you that. We have people in this room that are struggling with depression, people that are on medication for it, and, and that's awesome. I'm so for you because they're loving Jesus and they got Jesus as their focus every single day. Man, double thumbs up to you. But if you're struggling, would you talk to me? Again, I'm not a, I'm not a clinical psychologist or a therapist or a counselor or anything like that. I'm just a pastor and a really good friend. And I want to help walk with you through this and point you in to get the resources and the help that you need. Read the Psalms and Megadose on truth. I run to the Psalms and at the slightest sign of difficulty in my life, every time. And I wanna encourage you, man, live in the Psalms. Again, there's so much encouragement there, there's so much hope, you'll find yourself there. You think these feelings that I'm feeling, nobody else feels these, oh yeah, they do. And the Psalms prove it. Finally, commit to the process. Again, this is gonna take time. Your healing, your restoration is not gonna be measured in days and weeks. It's gonna be measured in months and years. Just commit to it. I know this is gonna be hard, but I'm willing to stick it out. I'm willing to, to walk through this no matter how long it takes. I'm not trying to get an end result. I'm just trying to be healthy. And I think all of us, if we said, hey, this guy over here, he's trying to get healthy. 
we're automatically going to think, oh, man, he's working out. He's eating right. He's eating, you know, grilled chicken and steamed broccoli and brown rice. You know, he's being healthy. Let's look at the guy over here that just made an appointment with behavioral health or with his therapist this week. He's just trying to get healthy. This guy over here that's trying out a new medication while she's reading through the book of Psalms for the first time, she's just trying to get healthy. That's actually a good thing. Let's remove this stigma. Last year, there were two prominent pastors that took their own life because they felt like there wasn't any hope for them. And a lot of it had to do with stigma. Remember, probably 10 plus years ago, there was a pastor that I knew that had taken his own life because he was involved in an extramarital affair and didn't feel like anybody could ever forgive him for that. Oh, there's always forgiveness with Jesus Christ. There's always hope at the end of the tunnel. But you're never alone. If you need help, ask for it. If you need a friend, right here. You got one in me, I promise you that. As you leave today, the ushers will have a copy of a book called When the Darkness Will Not Lift by John Piper. I do not believe everything he believes about the Bible. I don't believe everything he believes doctrinally and theologically. Uh, I don't believe everything he, he believes philosophically. He said some foolish things in the last couple of weeks as far as politics and stuff like that. The book is, is solid, solid. It really is. If you want more uh, detailed information on depression, there's a great book uh, that's in, listed in your notes there. Uh, that I think is really helpful. But the book that I have today, we're giving to you at no cost to you uh, if you'll take it and promise to read it. Uh, if you were here last year when we talked about it, it's the same book we had last year. So uh, and if we run out, I'll order more copies of it. But here's the thing, you, what you can't do, you can't just hope it goes away. One of the most damaging lies that the world tells us is time heals all wounds. You heard that before? Just wait it out, it'll eventually go away. It doesn't go away because our anger turns to bitterness and our sadness turns to depression and loneliness and worthlessness and hopelessness. No, no, no. Jesus heals all wounds. Guaranteed. So let's find hope in him today. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.